Now let us hear the word of God, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. For I consider all this in my heart so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As, to the, as is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is the evil and all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of all the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy now perish. Never more will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your work. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom, you're, whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perish under the, which you perform under the sun. Whatever you, your hands find to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. He by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Therefore I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the, the uh, scriptures that were read. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the words to our heart. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now, Lord, we pray that you would bless the word that will be preached, that your spirit would assist me, that your spirit would assist your people in listening. And Lord, that your word would not return back void, but would accomplish the purposes for which you intend for it to accomplish. So bless the word now, and Lord, and, and may it sink deep into our hearts so that we might better understand how to serve you, love you, and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a little while since I've been here, and it's always a pleasure to come here and to uh, 
preach to you and to worship with you. I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Danny for the opportunity uh, to bring the word to you this morning. Also, um, uh, glad my wife is also here with me. I'd like to honor her as well. And to all of you that are here this morning, it is definitely a pleasure to be here. Still on the ship, last week this time I was at sea, and um, so it's good to be back on solid ground, uh, not uh, potentially getting seasick, so it's all good. So, all right. Well, let's, let's look at the Word of God. So <clears throat> Solomon, I think, is one of the great philosophers in the history of the world, and he grappled with things that we grapple with. He grapples with the idea of suffering, of disease, of murder, of killing, of all of the troubles that we see in this world. That with the advent of the internet and social media and so on, we get all the alerts, everything that happens, immediately after it happens, we get it. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And for the atheists and for those who do not believe, the question, one of the questions that they ask and one of the reasons that they do not believe is this, they ask this question, why is there so much suffering in the world? There cannot be a God because of all of the suffering, the pain, and the misery that has taken place. Either one of two things, either God is not good because he's permitting this suffering, or God is not all-powerful because he cannot stop the suffering and the injustices and evil that take place in the world. And yet Solomon seeks to tackle these very questions. This was written thousands of years ago. And as he says often in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. We're still dealing with the same issues, the same problems and the same things that he's dealing with today. Indeed, life is complex. The world is complex. We think we have answers to all of the ills and issues of life if we maybe change political parties, maybe if we, uh, if they took my advice or they took this person's advice, if they read this book or whatever it is, things would be different. But Solomon says that it's a little bit more complex and complicated than that. And so today he gives us, I think, three things to consider as we deal with these things. I don't have answers to you for why these things happen, but he explains to us some ways that we can live in this world, some ways that we can better understand and better understand how things happen. Maybe in your life you're wondering why things are going the way that they're going. So the first thing he tells us to do is, first of all, remember this is the providence of God. What is providence? You find it in your hymnal. You don't have to turn to it. But it says there, what are God's work of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them in all their actions to his own glory. That is from the larger catechism. And that is very well said, that God is holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creatures. In other words, everything that happens is under the hand of God. Now, we often use words like lucky and unlucky, 
Luckily, I made it to the place in time. I was unlucky in this situation. You know, if you're a gambler, you go, you know, to Vegas and you have those dice and say, come on, Lady Luck, roll me a 7 or 11 or whatever uh, you're trying to do. We believe in luck. We believe in unluck. We believe in the universe, so on, uh, dispensing good and bad. But Solomon says there's no such things as luck. The Bible says even in gambling that the lot is determined by the hand of God. And so what do we see? We see injustice. We see inequity. We see terrible things that take place. And yet, Solomon says, first of all, don't look necessarily what you see as God's favor. He says in verse 1 there, he says that, he says, people know neither love nor hatred to anyone that see that they see before them. What would we see? We see wickedness increasing. We see injustice taking place. We see people who are wicked and sinful in high places. And what does that make us think? That God doesn't care? Or that maybe God favors those people? And yet Solomon is telling us that you cannot look at someone's outward circumstances and determine if God loves them or not. Because sometimes God is pleased to give much uh, money, possessions, and things to those who hate him. If you look who's in charge, if you look at the billionaires, most of them, I would say, do not love God, believe in God, or honor or acknowledge God. If you look at the politicians, most of them are not Christians. Most of them do not believe or understand or follow God. And yet you see that they're in charge. Why are they in charge? It's the secret hand of God, the providence of God. In other words, God is pleased to give those things to people who hate him, who curse him, who don't believe in him, who slander his name, who don't acknowledge him, who don't say thank you, who don't uh, give him any praise or any acknowledgement or want to follow him. And he gives them more and more. And sometimes God is pleased to give his people less to afflict them, to try them. That's what Asaph said in Psalm 73. And what do we think? Well, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. Look at all these bad things that are taking place in my life. But that's not the case at all. Jesus tells us the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, it says, was clothed in purple. Purple, you know, that's the color of the rich in the, in, in the, in the Bible. It's, it's the purple, it's the color of the rich. He, was, he fared sumptuously. He had food and money and clothing. He lived a luxurious life. And yet there was a beggar named Lazarus. He had nothing. He was a beggar. And he obviously had some serious uh, pain and sickness because the Bible says the dogs used to lick his, sore, his sores. And yet Jesus pulls back the curtain to eternity. He says the rich man went to hell and Lazarus went to heaven. So we cannot look at what we see in the world and determine uh, God's favor upon someone. Sometimes God favors those who he afflicts the most. Sometimes God favors those who he um, uh, withholds good things from. And yet 
he goes on and says, when you look in the world, the same event happens to all people. He says that there in verse uh, 3, all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked. This week we lost some great pastors, some well-known pastors. Harry Reeder from, uh, he's in Alabama, had a, a very well-known preacher. Uh, 4,000 people um, was in his congregation, very respected. He died in an in a, a accident. He hit a, a, a dump truck and died suddenly. This has happened on Thursday. Shocked the whole Christian world. Well, we see the unsaved also die in accidents as well. One event happens to them all. Tim Keller, well-known Tim Keller. Um, you know, he's wrote many books. Maybe many of you have his books and you've heard him preach and you've heard him talk and he's one of the great apologists and so on. He died of um, a pancreatic cancer after three years. So what do we say to that? People die. That's what he says. One event happens to them all. The righteous and the wicked. They both go. Those who go to church and those who don't go to church. Those who sacrifice, those who do not go to sacrifice. And and Solomon says, it seems like sometimes even God spares the wicked and takes the righteous before the wicked. What do we say to that? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Why would God take these people and not take uh, those who are wicked? Again, these things are in the hands of God and we cannot understand them. But that's the most important thing is that we're in the hands of God. He says the righteous are in the hands of God. And we're in God's hands. This is the perfect place to be. Because God's hands are perfect. His, his ways are perfect. And we know that he will care for us and protect us no matter what takes place. And so for the wicked, they see this thing and, he, and it leads to what? In verse 3, he says there's an evil under the sun. Evil done under the sun. Solomon loves those words, done under the sun. He says, truly the hearts of the son of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. In other words, and I believe in Ecclesiastes 10, he says, because God delays his punishment of the wicked, their hearts are full of madness. Because there is no restraint in their lives, because there is no guard punishment at this time in their lives, their hearts are full of madness. In other words, he says that that's one of the problems in this world is that the hearts of the son of men are full of evil, good and bad, rich and poor, educated and uneducated. Madness is in their hearts. In other words, you know what he's saying is that we are spiritually insane. We choose our idols. We choose sin rather than God. We will choose sin knowing that it will destroy us knowing that it will hurt us, knowing that it will kill us, we don't care. We are spiritually mad. We will kill ourselves unless God intervenes. We are committing self-suicide, spiritual suicide, physical suicide, and so on, unless God intervenes and changes our hearts. At one time, I'm not going to tell you when it, when it was, because... In the military chaplains, we have uh, this thing called confidentiality. Whatever you tell a chaplain, you can't uh, share it. But at one point in my career, this guy comes to me. He says, chaplain, I have 
I'm addicted to child porn. I said, wow, child porn. So we were talking. First we were. You could tell he was very reluctant to tell me. And I asked him, I said, you know that you could go to jail for that? That, you know, they're, they're probably tracking your computer, tracking your, your... He goes, I know, I know. He says, I delete it, but then I go back to it. I stop, but then I, 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 I have to go back to it. I says, why? Tell me, why do you feel the need to do it? He says, I just, I, he says, I just feel I have to have that next drill, that next um, high, so to speak. And I said, well, what is your solution? He says, I'm going to do better. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to stop. I'm going to get rid of it. I, I delete it. I sit. And I told him, that's not going to work. That's not enough. You need a new heart. You need Christ. You need a new spirit. Because you've tried to several times and you couldn't. Now, as sick as we might think that is, yet yeah, all of us, the Bible says, have hearts full of madness. That might not be our sin, but we have other sins as well. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Not just wicked, desperately wicked. We have that root within us where we sin. That's what we see over and over again. That's why we got to lock our doors. That's why we got to have car alarms. That's why we got to have... Um, we, we look over our shoulders. That's why now we go to the mall. We have to be careful. Who knows that there's going to be a mass shooting. Whatever it is. Why? Because the heart of people are full of madness. Is there any wonder why oftentimes the statistics and those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol are low? It's because we desire these things. We are slaves to sins. Sin chains us. It drags us down. It brings us to the brink. And we cannot stop it unless the Lord is with us to care for us and to take care of us. And so this is what Solomon sees. He sees injustice. He sees inequity. He sees evil. He sees it all the way around. But he says, yet there's still some hope. The hope is this, is the providence of God. The hope is this, is that God is still on the throne. The hope is that God intervenes, that no matter how wicked we are, no matter how evil we are, no matter what it is, we're still living. And that's what he says in verse 4. For who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You think of a lion. A lion is the, is the top of the animal kingdom. Most feared creature. I mean, we, we go to the zoo and we, you know, people go on safaris. They want to see lions. They're not interested in maybe seeing giraffes. They want to see lions. They want to see a hunt, a kill. Yeah, that's sick, I know, but... They, they <laughs> But there's something about a lion is, is powerful, it's majestic, it's, it's stately, and so on. And then you think of dogs. In our country, dogs are, are very well taken care of. We call them pets and so on. We get all, almost everyone here probably has a dog. But if you go to third world countries, you go to places like Honduras or uh, many of the Asian countries, dogs are not respected. They just roam the streets. They barely eat. You can see their rib cages and so on. I remember when I was in Honduras, uh, we went to, uh, out to a, uh, a village to provide some medical care for them. And um, 
there were some dogs out there, and I had like some eggs and stuff, whatever it was. And I threw it to the dog, and of course the dog devoured it. And one of the security people says, Chaplain, you can't do that. I said, why? He said, because those people over there, those Hondurans are hungry. And they find it an insult that you would give that food to uh, a dog and, instead of them who are hungry. I said, oh, okay. You know, so it is totally different culture. And yet, Solomon tells us that it's better to be a mangy dog than to be a dead lion. That while we're still living, there's hope. Things can change. That's why we pray for those who we think there's no hope for. There's, no, there's nothing. That person is way beyond prayer. That person is way beyond hope. And the fact of the matter is, is that that's not the case at all. Why? Because God intervenes. He intervenes all the time. He changed the heart of uh, the Apostle Paul. He changes the heart of many people. Perhaps people said that about you at one time. There's no hope for you. You are way beyond God's hope, God's grace. We give up on you. You're going to be in jail. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be in a, in a terrible place. And yet God intervened. He reached down and he saved you and he delivered you. And so that's what Solomon is saying that because we are in this world, because we're still living, there's hope. Things can change. So that's the first thing he talks about, is the providence of God. But then he moves on there in verse 7, and he tells us that how do we deal in this life of suffering and, and life of injustice? He says joy. That's my second point, to have joy. Joy, how can we have joy in this world? Well, we see all the evil, all the pain, all the suffering, all the misery. Every day we see something. There might be a food shortage. Uh, there might be a financial crisis. There might be world war with Ukraine. How can we have joy? People's anxiety is up to here. People are worried about the future. They don't know what's going to happen. And Solomon is talking about joy. Well, Solomon is talking about something that, uh, thousands of years ago. He's not living in the, in the age of technology, in the age of science, in the age of engineering and so on. This is a different world. Solomon says, no, it's not. There's nothing new under the sun. He says joy is what we need. Joy. He says, that's why he says there in verse uh, 7, he says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your work. In other words, he says, you have a life of thankfulness, a life of joy, a life of happiness. Now, we live in America where we have uh, we don't have, uh, we can eat basically whatever we want to eat, whenever we want to eat it. We don't have to worry about, most of us, when we go home today, we already know that we're going to get something good to eat. We don't have to worry about that. But are we thankful for what we have? Are we thankful what God gives us? That God gives us bread to eat and wine to drink, as Solomon says. That this is our portion in life. That God is good to us. He's good to his creation. He blesses us. Isn't it interesting how food, and he ordains this. He ordains that we do this. Isn't it interesting how everything is centered around food? If you invite someone over for a fellowship at your house, there's an expectation there's going to be food. You're not going to just have, oh, come over our house for a fellowship and there's no food. Here's a pitcher of water. There you go. Everyone go ahead and have a, a bottle of water. No, there's going to be food. There's food at graduations, at weddings, at, at um, 
retirements, you name it. Whatever it is, someone's bringing food. Cake, we had an anniversary on our ship on um, a Friday. We had a nice cake. There's always food. Why? Because food is joyful. Christmas, Thanksgiving, those are times of joy. Those are times of happiness. Those are times of getting together and enjoying it. And you're laughing and joking. And God says, that is what I want from you. Enjoy that, especially my people. He doesn't want our head to be hung down. He doesn't want us to be depressed. He doesn't want us to be worried. What does he say? Take no thought. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. You worry about today, and God will take care of tomorrow. So he says, eat and drink. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. This is my portion for you. And then he moves on. He says, secondly, even our clothing. That's right. Even Solomon talks about clothing. Because he says there in verse 7, 8, brother, rather, let your garments always be white in your and let your head lack no oil. This joy that you ought to have ought to be reflected in the way you dress. People who are depressed or anxious, you can tell oftentimes by their dress. He says, let your dress be cheerful. Let your dress be um, one that exhibits your personality, your attitude, and so on. Let people see, wow, he's a cheerful person, a joyous person. A person with a good spirit, no matter what is going on in your life. This is what Solomon says, let, let them see the glory of God in your life. Why is this person humming and whispering, I mean whistling? Why is this person so joyful and so happy and so on? And this is what Solomon says, we need to be in this world. Yes, there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, but as Paul says in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We ought to thank the Lord for the things that he has done for us in the past, and that will encourage us of what he's going to do in the future. And then he tells us that he moves from food, clothing, next to relationships. Because he says there in... um, Verse 9, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, in your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and the labor which you perform under the sun. In other words, God gives us people, family, friends, church family, church friends, and so on. This is our portion in life. God says live joyfully. And especially, he, he highlights the wife, spouses. Yes, marriage can be challenging and difficult. But he says, this is our portion. God says, the wife, the husband that I've given you, this is for your happiness, for your betterment, for your joy, for your life, and so on. Oftentimes, the devil seeks to distract us from those things, to take us away from them. But this is our portion in life. This is our happiness in life. Not only our wives, but also our kids, our family, and so on. That's your portion in life. This is designed for your joy, for your happiness. This is what God has given you. This is what God has given to bless you, to help you along in this journey. And then he says in verse 10, whatever your hands finds to do, do it with your might. 
For there is no work of device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Because you're cheerful. Because you are a person of joy. He says, work with all your might. Let that be seen. When you're depressed and anxious, it's hard to work. It's hard to uh, focus. It's hard to concentrate. But he says, work now. Why? Because we don't know what tomorrow will hold. How often do we say, I'll do it tomorrow? Well, tomorrow comes and something else comes up. Or we might die. We don't know. Our time is short. He says, now, let us be in a hurry. Let us rush. In Psalms 90, what did Moses say? He said this. He said, Lord, teach me the number of my days. Why? That I may apply my heart to wisdom. Teach me that these days are precious. That I don't have many days left. Teach me to number my days. You think about it. You might have money. You could lose your money. You could lose your possessions. You could regain those things. But you can never regain your time. Time is precious. Time is now. And what should we be doing it? To love God, to love his people, to glorify him, to serve him, to worship him, to leave our imprint in this world right now. Whatever we're doing, whatever our hands find to do it, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our spiritual life, whether it's reading the scriptures or praying, he says we ought to be diligent about it and not procrastinate. How often do we say I'll do it tomorrow or next day or whatever? Well, if we're not going to do it today, we probably won't do it now. The Bible says now. Right now, even for salvation, he says today is a day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And so that's my second point. My last point, as I'm almost finished here, is the idea of wisdom. The providence of God, have a joyful life. And the third thing is wisdom. Notice what he says in verse 11. We've heard this verse Quoted many times, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But things, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in the evil time. In other words, life is often upside down. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. And he says that the fastest don't always win the race. The strongest does not always win the battle. The most intelligent do not always uh, accomplish things. How often have we had plans and we had goals and we had dreams and those things did not come to pass. We put all of our time, energy, and effort into them. Whatever it is, whatever it is, and God said no. It did not come to pass. And we feel like all that time, all that effort, all that hard work for not. Well, Solomon says we have to realize that. That even our plans and our goals are in the hands of the Almighty God. And we see it all the time in sports. The big upset where the team we thought was going to win didn't win. The person that got the promotion You're like, how did that person get the promotion? I was far more intelligent, smarter, better worker. This person barely knew anything, and they got the promotion, and I didn't get it. Why? That's not fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It's in the secret hands of the Almighty God. Things often are 
do not happen the way they seem. Many a promising person, many people who were started out young, oh, that person's going to be something. You remember in high school, the most likely person to succeed. This person's going to be super intelligent. This person's going to make a lot of money and rich and so on. Oftentimes, it doesn't even work like that because God intervenes. People who maybe should not be up there are up there. And sometimes God for his people have to humble us because we do have gifts and we are, we are intelligent and smart and so on. And sometimes God humbles us by giving us failures, giving us defeats. Yeah, but, but sometimes God has to humble us so that we learn to trust him. And so this is how we deal with disappointment. Life is going to be disappointing at times. Things are not going to always go the way that we plan for them to go. And we realize that that is even in the secret hand of God. And that's why we need wisdom. What is wisdom? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Many times we, we think wisdom just comes from old people, which it can but the most important thing is that wisdom is divine. It's something that God gives us, something that God directs for us, something that, that we use to make decisions. James says if we lack wisdom, let us pray and ask for God. Ask to God and he'll give it to us liberally. That's what we need. Indeed, wisdom is found in the law of God, reading the Bible, applying the principles of the Bible. No, no the Bible doesn't tell us how to fix our cars or whether we should go to college or go to the military or whether we should marry this person or that person. But we have the principles that God gives us. And so wisdom is what we need in this world. Wisdom, godly wisdom, divine wisdom, that is what will help us here life under the sun. Wisdom is better than strength. You take the strongest person. A wise person is better than a person that's strong. Wisdom is better than riches. A poor man who's wise is far better than a rich man who's rich. Why? Because we've seen many rich fools, many people who are foolish with riches. And because they're foolish, they squander their money. A person with poor wisdom is better than a person who is rich in wisdom. Knowing that wisdom can save countries. It says there in verse 14, there's a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. And there was found in a poor wise man, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Great military weapons are great. You know, in the military, we have many great weapons. But you know, we need more than weapons, we need wisdom. We need people with good decisions to use those weapons, when to use those weapons. Um, and, and Samuel, 2 Samuel talks about Sheba and how Sheba rebelled against David and Israel. And he, he got a whole bunch of people. And Job and David and Israel came and surrounded um, Sheba. And it was a lady who came and exercised wisdom and saved the whole country. Wisdom is extremely important. And Solomon says sometimes with wisdom, no one remembers the person who had wisdom. Oftentimes, those who are popular, those who are rich, take the wisdom of those who no one knows and uses it and takes the credit for it. No one remembers the person that is wisdom. He says, but wisdom is the most important thing. Wisdom is quiet. It's calculating. It makes good decisions. It knows which way to go. It's better than the shout or the ruler of fools. How many fools do we have ruling today, making decisions? 
Wisdom is what we need. Wisdom. It says one sinner destroys much good. How often do we see that taking place where a person maybe is in the office or a person at home that manages their money wisely? And it takes this one sinful person to come and to destroy everything. And so Solomon tells us life under the sun, wisdom, joy, and the providence of God. That's what he calls upon us to do as we live in this world, in this world of suffering, in this world of difficulty. He calls upon us to live like that, to be wise, to have joy, and to remember that our lives and our hands are in the providence of God. And the wisest thing we can do is to make sure that we know our God, that we know Jesus as our Savior, that we are walking with him, that we love him, and hold him. The world is going crazy and haywire. And yet, if we're walking with God, if we're walking with Christ, if we are living uh, for Christ, no matter what happens, we know that we are in the arms and the hands of Christ. We don't have to panic. We don't have to fret. We don't have to lose our minds. Why? Because our God has us in his hands, and our God hears us, and our God loves us. And our God will work out all things for our good and for his glory. And we've seen it over and over again in the Bible, how God works things out. And oftentimes we don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. You think when Joseph was sold into slavery and was put in prison, that he understood the providence of God at that time? We know because we read the end of the story. But perhaps that's where we are right now. We're like Joseph or David uh, when he was on the run from Saul. We thought Saul was going to kill him. Many things we do not know, but we trust in the all-wise governing hand of God who will lead us and guide us safely to our destination. Let us pray. Lord, we, we do thank you for just a reminder of how to live in this world with all the heartache and pain and suffering, yet, Lord, we know that you're in charge and that you're in control and that you are sovereign. And so, Lord, help us on a daily basis to walk closely with you, to walk by your guidance and by your love. Lord, help us to lean more on you, to rely more upon you. Bless us and let these words sink deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.